Coming up on today's show. I guess he saw my passion and um, gave me, bought me a, a Gibson SG and let me lose. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Warzniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Be sure you are on the list for the weekly e-newsletter. Yes, weekly e-newsletter. As in, I only send out once a week. That's it, on Wednesday, when a new episode of this show comes out. So make sure you're signed up to receive that for free to your inbox. If you're not already getting it, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and pop your email address into the sign-up box. I do publish exclusives in there from time to time, so don't miss out. I love hearing from listeners of this show. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you're welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from the Florida Panhandle, my guest is the founder of and guitarist for the alternative rock band Kickstand Jenny. In June, the band released a 10-song album featuring some notable contributors, with one of the songs already having well over 100,000 streams on Spotify, where they have more than 20,000 monthly listeners. On the live performance front, the band has shared the stage with notable headliners, such as Slaughter, Living Color, Sebastian Bach, and L.A. Guns. Last year, the band signed with Spectra Music Group, and the videos on their official YouTube channel have a combined total of almost 1.7 million views. You've been hearing a song of theirs called One More Day. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Preston Morlock. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet, Preston. Thank you for making time for this. Let's get started by having you share with the audience about the song that was just playing called One More Day, especially since I was talking over it and they couldn't hear the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, well, One More Day, um, it's one of my favorite tracks. It's a, it's a kind of a dark theme, uh, but kind of a, you know, a high quality. The sound is um, not too dark, but the, the theme is it's about the death of a loved one and the desire to have them back and so it kind of goes through that and and the song starts off kind of mellow and it builds as it goes and it kind of follows the you know the narrative as time goes so does desperation and the music kind of builds that way so that's what the song is about uh like i said dark theme but but you know a lot of people have experienced that unfortunately I'm not a songwriter, but I do interview a lot of songwriters. I wonder, though, is that intentional or is that just kind of a logical pattern to follow when you say that the song built melodically as it did lyrically? Yeah, I mean, I like the Historically, I really like songs that build. They kind of start off mellow and build up as they go. And so I on purpose, you know, to, to build it. And it's finishes a lot heavier, a lot louder. There's a lot more instrumentation at the end. The very beginning is pretty simple. It's just a simple guitar riff and a kick drum. And then it just builds from there. 
as the song goes. So yeah, that was done on purpose. Yeah, I think that the general public would hear a song and I want to give the audience the benefit of the doubt and say they would notice if something doesn't match up and say, well, why is this building at a time when the lyrics don't really call for it to? But at the same time, I think it's important for the general listening audience that doesn't think about the songwriting element to realize that there is some structure, there is some rationale as to how the tempo goes in terms of matching up with what the message is saying in those lyrics. Correct. And I had the luxury of really taking my time with these songs and, and this one as well. Um, the whole, you know, I don't just write a song and be done with it and shelf it. This song probably took about a year to, from, you know, the initial idea to the completion. It probably took about a year. Mm. I would shelve it and come back, shelve it and come back just to kind of have it um, perfect or as perfect as, as I can make it. So I'm a little OCD, you know, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's, um, took a long time to do. So a little OCD, I get it. But at the same time, I think there is something to be said for once we get this recorded, there's no going back. Sure. We could perform it live differently, but the recorded version, some people may never see us live. And so the recorded version, that's what's going to live on in eternity. And as the songwriter, you got to be happy with it instead of saying, it's good enough. Let's just get this project recorded once and for all. And six months later, you're going, man, I just knew I should have done the bridge differently on that song. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and that's happened. So um, I've changed the way I write songs now. I actually demo them out uh, myself before I even go to the studio and I'll listen to them over and over and over. Cause you won't believe how much you, you'll add to it or, you know, the rewrite is important to me. So yeah, that's, that's the way I do it. Just go through and listen. That way there's not many regrets when you finally release it. So, so let's just look at one more day a little bit more then. So having just heard that, is there anything that you can recall where you did listen to it and go back and I don't want to say make a dramatic change, but, make a change that's notable enough to say, yeah, I still remember that I heard something here and I changed it to this, whether it was chord progression or lyrics or otherwise. Oh yeah. Um, so there's two bridges in it, um, near the end and you know, it takes a while to get to the chorus. That was on purpose. I wanted to just build, do two verses before we hit the chorus. And when we get to the first bridge, there's a, a chord progression change. But in the second bridge, it's the same chord progression as the chorus. And you don't notice it until you know it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's something that was purposely done that I, I thought, man, let's do this a little different. And um, the melody and the lyrics are the same in both bridges, but the chords are different. And you can't really tell. But mm. now that you know, you might be able to go back and listen to it. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then, yeah, and the lead parts that you know, I always put a lot of time into those. Um, a lot of layering and stuff like that. And then, you know, the way it ends, I didn't really know a good way to end it. And so it kind of goes back full circle to that little kick drum and that little bitty, that little riff at the end, which is just, it's just a run in the key of A <laughs> that I probably just, it's like a practice riff that I do. Mm. Uh, well, I say A, we're capoed and I'm tuned half a step down. So <laughs> whatever that is. But, uh, but that was a cool way to end it. But it took me, I don't know, a couple months before I figured out how I was going to end that thing. So, so yeah, a bunch of stuff that I can recall on that one. 
Well, and folks, since I did not play the whole song, it's all the more reason for you to go and seek that song out and listen to it its entirety now that you just heard Preston describing the end of it. I do want to formally say, Preston, congratulations on the new album. As I mentioned in the intro, 10 tracks on the release, which is called Between the Lies. That's a clever title, and (laughs) this is a concept album. Tell us what is the theme, the concept of the album. Yeah, so when we, so I was writing these songs for a long time and it's just hard for me to, again, going back to my OCD, um, it's hard for me to really concentrate on writing and then you're playing out and getting ready for shows and doing shows. And so when COVID hit, you know, they canceled all the shows. So there's nothing to do really musically. So I was able to, it was almost like a blessing in disguise. I was able to sit back and finish these songs. So the concept is really, it it plays like you're in a relationship, right? If you go through the tracks and and listen to it, it really reads that way. But in reality, it's, it's where my mind was with the music, where my head was. And so it's relatable because of the relationship correlation. But if you go through the tracks, you know, love it or leave it, standing in the doorway, uh, down to, you know, never going to let you go tonight. It's really where my head was with the music. It was kind of over in my head. I didn't know if I really wanted to, to spend much more time, effort, money and energy into it. Mm. And so that's really what the songs are about. It's about the music itself. But, you know, people can't relate to that unless you're a musician. But so it's it's good that it reads like you're in a relationship as well. So because people that's a little more relatable. So that's the concept album. And if you go through and listen to it, it does tell a cool story. The one that we just went over one more day is track six. And it's kind of like wishing that you had it back. You know what I mean? It's gone. Cause I knew once I, if I ever quit and I've been in a lot of bands, I've played with a lot of people and I've had a lot of people quit, you know, and I tell them, oh, man, you're never going to really quit. You'll mm. always have it in your blood. You know, you'll always want to come back and do it again. And, and, it, and I've proven myself right on that because, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Once you get up there and start playing in front of people, you can't really get it out of your blood. And so that's what One More Day is about, too, just kind of getting um, getting back or missing it, wanting it back. Um, so that's kind of the concept on that. But, again, you – it's really about it's about to me it's about the music but if you listen to it from the outside and you don't know the story behind it it's about the loss of a loved one which i guess in this case, the loved one is the music <laughs> yeah i think everything that you just described is really brilliant because as you say from a music perspective from an insider's perspective i totally get it say you know the death of live music the pandemic wiped out everything and nobody was out performing anywhere and so it is easy to say this is dragging on, this is dragging on, this is dragging on. When's anything going to open back up? Am I ever going to play music again? Maybe I should just give up music and then to push through and say, hey, I'm going to march on and I'm going to continue through with this and, and rise back up. And it does, to the average listener, look like, oh, he's talking about relationship. If that's what attracts you to it, you know, there is kind of a, a double entendre here. So sure, you know, we just want you to like our music and Eventually, you'll hear an interview like this one, and <laughs> you'll find out what the real story is. But Exactly. Um, man, I really like that. Thank you. Thank you. Just sit and sit in bed at night, just thinking. <laughs> you know? 
tell the audience where the album was recorded and who produced it, as well as how you were able to get someone with such notable credentials to produce it. Okay, well, that's a good story. Um, so we recorded this in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, which is right outside of Nashville. And uh, the studio is called Secret Sound Studios. And it's ran by Chaz Sanford. Chaz Sanford is actually a friend of mine. We we met years ago at a songwriters festival. Uh, he actually came to one of our shows. And I recognized him. I knew of him, never met him. I knew of him because... I'm a huge fan of Sammy Hagar. I just I've always loved Sammy Hagar with Van Halen, without Van Halen. So I knew of Chaz because of the song he had written for Sammy Hagar. Ah. And so I recognized him in the audience. And so after the show, I go down to him, introduce myself, and we just kind of hit it off pretty good. But, um, you know, he's also he's written songs for Chicago. Um, he wrote a huge hit for John Waite called Missing You, yeah. number one all over the place. Wrote for Stevie Nicks, uh, Rod Stewart, Tina Turner. Mm. Um, and then he's produced, you know, all those people, Willie Nelson, Bonnie Raich, uh, Roger Daltrey. So, you know, he's been through it a lot. He was an L.A. guy back in the 70s and 80s, and then he kind of came to Nashville, I think in the early 90s, and just kind of continued there. So... He's like, well, man, why don't you come, you know, record in my studio? And you know, who's going to say no to that? <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I got to interrupt you. This story is way too cool. This story is way too cool for openers. I love Sammy Hagar too. What song of Sammy's did this guy write? I think it was "Sweet Hitchhiker." Uh, that track. And so, where was this Songwriters Festival? It's called Thirty A Songwriters yeah, Fest. Yeah, yeah. And so you literally look out in the crowd and you see and recognize him and you just approach him and introduce yourself and acknowledge the, the Sammy song and he invites you to come and record at his studio? Yeah, that's pretty much wow. how Wow, wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and we go to the studio and he's got all these gold and platinum albums hanging everywhere and um, pictures of him with, with all these famous people. It was really cool. It was really surreal, but... Mm. We've become pretty good friends since then. He's he comes down and visits you know, about once or twice a year. We'll hang out, but, and then of course he comes to the festival every year. But um, yeah, it was neat. It was neat how it worked out. Yeah. See, and I was going to say, you know, why does a band that's based in the Florida Panhandle go all the way to Franklin, Tennessee, to record? Now, obviously. There's lots of reasons to go record in, we'll just call it the greater Nashville area. But I think you see kind of the the thought process. You know, there's probably plenty of studios right there or maybe over in Alabama. But when someone with those credentials invites you to go record at his studio, you go record at his studio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't say no to that. I don't know what I did in my previous life, but things tend to work out for me. That was one of those situations where I just got lucky, mm. you know, and, you know. Because, yeah, you're right. We didn't know. There's a thou there's thousands of studios in this, you know, around us. Yeah. You don't really know which one's going to be good. And, you you know, I've heard work from good bands that just didn't get a good production. So, mm. uh, we, you know, we've been lucky yeah. there. So And how. Wow. So speaking of significant names, you had two notable contributors that performed on the album. I don't want to steal your thunder. So tell the audience who I'm referring to and what each of the two of them did on Between the Lies. Yeah, so on track three, a song called Solo, we got Mark Slaughter from the band Slaughter 
to sing on that one. And that's a pretty interesting story, the way it worked out. And I'll tell you about it here in a second. So track 10, the last track, we got Jim Riley from Rascal Flats to play drums on, which ended up being really cool. We also had a couple. We had um, uh, Sean Fitcher. He's the drummer for Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Wow. He came and did some stuff. And then we had Kevin McKendry, who's Delbert McClinton's keyboardist. He That's who did the keyboard on Jumpin' Jack Flash mm. for the organ. And he's a Grammy winner. He's really good. Uh, so we had a lot of people come in. Chaz knows pretty much everybody. Um, mm. You know, everybody's on speed dial. But the way we got with Mark was pretty cool. We were playing a show with him uh, a few years ago. And just through talking with him, we, we found out that he's friends with Chaz Sanford. And he actually lives in Franklin. And they're neighbors. <laughs> And so we're calling up Chaz from the backstage, you know, and it was kind of a cool little moment. And then my bass player, Chris, was just, he can be blunt sometimes. And he was like, hey, man, why don't you just sing on our album? <laughs> and Mark was, Mark was like, all right, yeah, that's cool. I'll do that. So we held him to it. You know, when the time mm -hmm. came, uh, we're like, you know, hey, you, you mentioned you'd sing on this album. And He's like, yeah, just send me some songs and let me listen to them. So we sent him four songs. I can't remember which four. They were the heavier songs, you know, because Slaughter's kind of a metal band. But um, he picked the song Solo, and which is it's cool, too, because this he said it reminded him of the Vinnie Vincent project, which is where Vinnie was the guitarist in Kiss at the time. And he kind of went out to do his own thing got mark as his vocalist so mark slaughter was in the vinnie vincent project before he was slaughter so years and years and years ago so he liked that track because it reminded him of that band mm. and ironically that song is about leaving a bad situation and going solo mm. <laughs> so which is kind of what he did you know when he left vinnie vincent so uh it all kind of went full circle on that but uh and he did a great job he came in and, and just killed it and and was so easy to work with, down to earth, super cool dude, and uh, man, I, I really like the track. It's a good track. So, what a great story that is! And for those in the audience who are up and coming performers, your aspiring singers, songwriters, etc., listen to the part where Preston said, "I don't want to put words in Preston's mouth," but they basically called Mark out on it and said, "Hey, you said you would sing on this song. If someone makes you a promise like that." politely professionally remind them of that and sure. don't back down take them up because the worst they could say is i'm sorry i just don't have the time right now and you know maybe that's their polite way of saying gosh i don't remember this or i said it in the moment i don't know that i really meant it and now hear that but folks if this is you if you find yourself in that situation learn from this lesson that preston and his bandmates were able to have peacefully resolve it just went along very nicely very smoothly as you're hearing and so there are opportunities there when people extend them your way you mentioned your bass player preston and that's a nice segue because i know there will be a lot of kickstand jenny fans listening to this interview but since i've been fortunate enough to get listeners from 163 countries around the world over the nine and a half years of this show for those that are just being introduced to the band explain where the name came from as well as who the other members are and what each one does. <laughs> well, the name, oh man, the name's an interesting story. We try to keep that secret, but I'll tell you this. 
Jenny is a real person. Does she know she has a band named after her? She does. Okay. She does. okay. And I, it's funny. So we were, the band was called something else uh, years ago. We were going as the bottoms up band. We were like a party band um, and we did a lot of covers and stuff. So I, when I moved to Florida, that was kind of what I wanted to do just to get away from the original stuff. Cause it's a, it's a mountain to climb, you know, when you're trying to play originals mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, but after meeting Chaz, you know, he's like, listen, you got to change your band name. You know, <laughs> we can't be taken serious as the bottoms up band and have an original <laughs> music. So, so that's when and we're thinking about, you know, a name. And then this person that's, who was, who still is a big fan of the band. Um, uh, we kind of decided to name it after her. And so, you know, as far as specifics go, there, there's, there's hints, you know, in the logo and stuff. Okay. okay. We'll keep it a state secret. We'll keep it a state secret. And, and, and uh, what do they say? Some of the names have been changed to protect the innocent or something like that. Uh, so, so yeah. the, the other band members, who they are and, and what each one does. Chris Bacomas plays bass. Um, really cool dude. dude, man. He's, uh, plays the part well um actually we found him on craigslist of all mm. things you know he was just getting out of, band, of a band and and we were looking for a bassist the bass player i had at the time moved to new york and um chris is one of those guys who um who's very loyal when it comes to being in a band and that's what you need i mean in, in order to be successful longevity is important in order for longevity to happen you have to be loyal and you have to bite your tongue when you don't want to, and you have to just get along and as hard as it can be. And so he's he's an expert at that, and I feel like I am too because we've both been doing it a long time. So you just kind of learn to live with each other through the good and bad. It's like a marriage, you know. So the dude's cool, man. He's a good guy. And then the singer, Scott Foster Harris, man, I lucked into this guy too. <laughs> um so he used to sing for LA Guns out in California. I'm sure you've heard of LA Guns. Oh, they yeah. were a spinoff from Guns N' Roses. So Tracy Guns and Axl Rose started Guns N' Roses. And they couldn't get along. So they split up. And then Axl gets Slash. And then Tracy just went on and his, did his own thing. He's pretty bitter to this day. Because of <laughs> it. Uh, so... Playing with you know, with L.A. Guns was was a challenge, uh, you know, because I try to get along with everybody, and whoo, you know, they were they were uh, they were one of the, you know some of those guys that just you just stay away from. So when the time came to do this album, I, you know, I looked up Scott because of that history. You know, we both had played. He was in L.A. Guns. I just played with him, so I was really nervous. You know, trying to get this guy to. To, to see if he would be willing to sing uh, on this album. And uh, I'll be danged if he's one of the coolest guys I've ever met in my life. Mm. Super down to earth. Um, you know, you expect him to have a little bit of diva syndrome. He doesn't have that at all. He's a super cool guy. And uh, just another one of those blessings, man. And, and that's what I try. I just try to stay away from the buttholes and, <laughs> and you know, as much as I can and, and, but man, he's he's awesome. He's an amazing singer. He 
He's a talented musician. He plays every instrument you can think of, and he's good at all of it. So, Explain what you mean, though, when you say he was in L.A. Guns. I just played with him. So we were opening for L.A. Guns. Okay. Um, we were the opening act. Okay. He was the singer in L.A. Guns. Okay. So, but um, when we when we were playing with L.A. Guns, they had got their original singer back. So I never met Scott, but I, we had that connection. So that's why I reached out to him. We had the L.A. Guns collect, c- connection. Gotcha. But I assumed after meeting the guys in L.A. Guns that he was going to be the same kind of, you know, <laughs> have that little chip on his shoulder, but not at all. Super cool dude, man. Just as good as they come. And that's it. And it got me. So. And I want to back up to something that you said about when you first moved to Florida and the band and putting that together because you said I wanted to get away from the original music and that is the complete opposite of what most musicians are doing which is man I'm so sick of playing these same cover songs over and over I want people to hear I want people to know I want people to respect my original music and I totally get what you're saying I I totally get it about there's not a lot of places it's not super easy to go and play original music but it's just different to hear someone say, I wanted to get away from that. So I was looking to just play a bunch of cover songs. And of course, where you are in the Florida Panhandle, there's a lot of tourists and the tourists want to hear the stuff that Jimmy Buffett, et cetera. But it's, it's kind of unique for someone to to talk about that direction instead of I'm sick of playing these cover songs. I just want to play my originals. Yeah, no. And, and it makes sense. So. Uh, when I was in Tennessee, we were me and my brothers. We were doing all original music, and man, it was so hard to get gigs. And and you know, back and even to this day, you know, they want they want to hear some Skinner, they want to hear some ZZ Top, you know, <laughs> they want to hear some Van Halen, which I like all that stuff. But man, we were so tired of it. So we were doing our. So I'd already done the cover thing, and then we were doing the original, and then it's just impossible to get shows. So when I moved to Florida, I'm thinking, okay, well, let's just be a party band and do like, you know, rock and roll covers. And it was probably, Bruce, I don't know, six months living here, I realized, well, wait a second, man, there's a big draw for original music down here, especially with that 30 Songwriters Fest and man, that brings in thousands and thousands of people. And so we just started kind of sprinkling them in. Uh, But now, you know, there's a few venues here where we can just play nothing but originals, which is really cool. Mm. But I'll segue, I'll tell you a funny story that on our YouTube channel, there's this video we put up there. I think it's called Sad Musicians or something like that. But it's kind of a spoof on that Sarah McLachlan thing where Uh, she does the, where she's, you know, having, asking people to adopt animals yeah so we put um my wife is playing sarah mclaughlin and she's pretending to be the you know musician supporter and asking people to adopt musicians and one of the lines is you know we're tired of people you know hiring bands to play for publicity which is funny because when you're doing original songs you won't believe how many people be like hey man yeah, we'll pay you a hundred bucks, but you'll get all kinds of publicity, you know? Yeah. I, I always okay, say never. exposure doesn't pay my cell phone bill. So thanks. I'm sure it's real good exposure, but tell that to the electric company when they're going to turn off my power. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's a funny video, but it really shines a lot on the reality of being a musician when you're trying to make it. So that's cool. I will be heading directly to my computer when we hang up so I can bring that up on YouTube and watch that. In the meantime, That's great. 
I mentioned this in the intro, but I'd love to hear more about it. Last year, Kickstand Jenny was signed to Spectra Music Group. What all does that entail, and how did the band get that opportunity? Well, uh, again, I was blessed with having some spare time. And so when we were recording, we kind of took our time. We would do three or four songs at a time. And then I'd come back and listen to it and we'd add, you know, different things. So the album was pretty much done in 2022. Probably, I think we were done around May of 22. And it's human nature to, you know, write a song, record it and release it. You know, you just want to get it out there. And, and I'm no exception. I'm very impatient. But I thought, you know what? Let's let's just shop this around because, you know, from what I was reading and understanding is a lot of labels, they don't really want to, you know, they don't want to put much effort into who they sign. And so if you have all the work done for them, it really helps, you know, to get the deal. So, you know, I wasn't sending demos out. I was sending complete Mm. work. You know, we had already finished it. So I think that really helped. Um and I was able, I spent about six months just shopping around mm. labels. And, and we actually had three deals on the table. Whoa. And yeah. And good, good enough deals, you know, really good labels. And Spectra had responded to me, said they liked it, wanted to meet up. And they never, and I'm like, I, you know, okay, cool. What do we do? And then that was it. Like I didn't hear from them for a month. Mm. And so I thought, man, the Spectre is really the one I won't want. You know, they've got lots of good legacy acts under them. Um, you know, they have Little River Band, T-Rex, Cutting Crew, Lou Graham from Foreigner. Wow. They got a bunch of, and more, they got a bunch of uh, really good acts. So really that was, you know, they had a pedigree, biggest indie label in the country, been around since the early 90s, you know. So it's really who you want. So I just emailed them and was kind of, honestly kind of a jerk like hey man you told me you know we're gonna do this and they called me that day and we just worked out some details and you know a couple weeks later we had a contract Oof. so cool so cool yeah. results pretty- not typical uh do not try this at home all the <laughs> all the disclaimers yeah. across the bottom of the screen wow wow yeah, well i felt we had a good product it's a really good album and, and that's why i wanted to at least try you know shop it out and see um, who would buy it. And we, like I said, we had, uh, after Spectre, we had four offers, which is cool. Well, and they probably looked and said, it's a pretty cool band name. And let's face it, folks. I mean, in, <laughs> in 512 episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment, I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you, this is the coolest guest name, Preston Morlock. How cool is his name? And I know that you had no control over that. That's what your parents gave you. But <laughs> I have I have single-handedly decided that you have the coolest name in the 512 episodes of this show. Well, I appreciate that. I will yeah. uh, proudly use my name now. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should. We're a bunch of hillbillies from Tennessee, man. I usually keep quiet about it. but <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from the Florida Panhandle by the founder of and guitar player for alternative rock band Kickstand Jenny, Preston Morlock. Visit the band's official website at kickstandjenny.com. You have been hearing Preston talk all about their new album, Between the Lies. On the homepage, as well as on the music page of their website, 
You will see links to get the new album from Pandora, Amazon, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Deezer, and Tidal. As I mentioned back in the intro, Kickstand Jenny has more than 20,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, so check out the new album there as well, and of course give the band a follow on Spotify. Be sure to also check out the store section of their website for tons of merch. Social media-wise, you will see links on kickstandjenny.com for Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, so do engage with and follow the band through one or more of those. When I am putting together a new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, I am completely dialed in and I don't want to be interrupted. That's one of the many nice things about the OWL app. You determine when you want to quote-unquote go live on there and for how long. That means that since I don't want calls coming into me through there when I'm trying to prepare a podcast interview, I just don't set myself as live, as available on there. By the way, they just rolled out a new feature on OWL. And by the way, that's OWL like the bird, except with two W's and two L's. They rolled out a new feature called OWL Community Connection Hub, which is designed to ask for help and to be matched with someone who has the knowledge you're searching for. In other words, experts who can answer your question are being tagged so that you get matched up with someone that can help you. Check it out. Here's how to start with OWL. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere it says home, and then read the article I have posted there under the headline, Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away, to learn more about OWL. I've also got links in there for you to download the app for free from either the App Store or Google Play. Plus, you'll see my invitation code, which is a required field as you're setting up the app on your phone. Get on OWL and start on your way to making great new connections for your career. Preston, in the first half of the show, you talked a lot about Between the Lies, the album that just came out in June. Yet, in the lead-up to today, you told me that the band is already set to record a new album this winter. What stage is that project at? Meaning, is it all completely written? How many songs do you envision there being on that album? Where will it be recorded? Will that one also be produced by Chaz Sanford? And, of course, when might that album come out? So, this album that's out now that we just released was from beginning to end about a three year project. And I didn't want to do that again. You know, I didn't want to wait three years for the next one. So what we're doing, but at the same time, I want to take my time, you know, and make sure the songs are good quality and make sure everything's done right. How we want it. So right now we're in the, we're in the demo process. We have about eight songs that are ready to record. And the, the, plan is to go up to Indiana at Sweetwater Studios. Uh, they have an Atmos studio, which is state-of-the-art, top-notch, really cool place. So that's probably, well, it is. That's what we're going to do and probably do that in January or February. And again, take our time, but not wait three years. So hopefully we'll have an album's worth by summer. Mm. That's kind of the goal. But uh, But yeah, so that's a little ambitious, but again, if I wait and cause I mean, shoot, it's already been six months since the album's been out and it's like a blink of an eye. So if I wait another year, then it'll be another three years before the next album comes out. So we don't have, we don't have that much patience. So yeah, we're going to be up in Indiana freezing our butts off <laughs> in February. <laughs> uh, but so does that mean that Chaz will not be the producer on it or can you bring your own producer to Sweetwater? Uh, we might produce this one ourselves. 
um, just not for financial reasons, just because, you know, we just got a few little ideas that we want to do. Nothing against Chaz, um, but uh, we may actually do some stuff with him, too. I mean, we want to try out, mainly we want to try out this Atmos studio. Um, the Atmos is kind of the future, man. That's what everybody's trying to do. And there's not many Atmos studios out yet. So, um, and Chaz has an amazing studio. Um, but just to get this, I'd say they've got millions, probably two or three million in equipment. I'm not joking. I mean, just, just to have that studio, um, it's really state of the art. So it's more of an experiment for us, you know, try new things, see what happens. Yeah. I love when this happens. Audience, if you did not hear last week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, go back and listen to episode 511, my interview with Eric Larson. He is the CEO of Outer Marker Records, but he was also talking about the uniqueness of the artists and the production on those recordings. And he talked about Dolby Atmos extensively on that interview. DW Fern Hazel Rig Industries products. He talked about Sweetwater Studios. So I love when the planets align like this and <laughs> the episodes line up perfectly with each other. I'll put a link on the show page for Preston's episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. But it was last week, so it's not hard to find episode 511 with Eric Larson. Preston, I want to back up, though, because one of the questions I asked you there when I rambled on thinking about this new album that you're going to be doing is I asked if it was all completely written. And earlier at the beginning of this interview, you were talking about you writing that song that was playing during the intro, One More Day. And then we heard about the band members. But are you the only songwriter in the band or do one or more of the other guys write with you? Well, I wrote this album, but it was kind of my baby. You know, the, it was kind of the the concept thing. It was in, all in my head, so I kind of had to. Um, the first track on the album, the the bassist wrote the riff, so he got a songwriting credit for that. And so the new stuff will be a mixture, which is cool. Uh, Scott's a good songwriter. He's written a ton of songs. Um he was in Zen rising, a pretty popular band years ago. And they have some really cool stuff. Um, he's more of a Led Zeppelin type songwriter, which is cool. I like the guitarist and things like that. So, um, it might change the sound a little bit, but, um, I, you know, I, I say half and half me and Scott, uh, right now it, it is half and half. We've got four each. So, okay. okay. <laughs> so Yeah. And we're writing together too, so I say we got four weeks. We're, you know, we're. I'll send him some ideas, and we'll just bounce them back and forth. So, but yeah, this whole first album was was just me sitting there, you know, knocking it out. So, in addition to that new upcoming album, I know the fans of Kickstand Jenny will be excited to hear that the band is working on touring for next year, which sounds logical given that you'll want to be promoting both Between the Lies as well as the new album that we're talking about getting recorded. What is the vision for a 2024 tour, regional, national, international, and are you aiming to go out as an opener or a headliner or both? What I want to do, and I think this is going to be how it's going to work, we're going to be an opening act, which I'm fine with. Uh, you know, it's less stressful. So to be an opening act, the goal is to be an opening act for one of the legacy acts under Spectra, hmm. you know, um, like cutting crew would be awesome. T-Rex would be awesome, you know? Um, and so that's kind of the goal to hit under one of those. 
and we're working through all that now. It's easier, it's less stressful. You don't have to worry about selling tickets. You know, there's nothing. It, it can be embarrassing, even for some of these legacy acts. You go out there and you and you you're only playing to a small crowd. So we want to avoid the embarrassment and just open for someone, you know, and hopefully gain some fans that way. And then at, depending on the, the success of that, that will be how we'll headline in the future. I like it. I like it. That's a good approach. Let's get into your own backstory. You're not originally from the Florida Panhandle and are a lifelong musician. Tell us all about your musical journey that went from childhood to where you are now. My father was in a gospel quartet when I was a kid. Him and his brothers, they were called the Morlock Brothers, and they would go out and do these shows and um, really was a successful band. Um, had a 10-piece band. They had a song on the charts, on the national charts, which is pretty impressive. And I learned the business side of the music from them. And talking about being an opening act, one of their strategies was they would find the biggest bands around and hire them and rent out these big state, not stadiums, but like, you know, civic centers or whatnot Mm -hmm. and sell the tickets and pay the bands. And they would do well Mm. with that. And so me and my brothers, we would kind of do the same thing with our rock band. We would, we would pick, this was in high school. We would pick bands from, all the local high schools, like every high school had the cool band, you know, and we would hire them and we wouldn't just give them publicity. We'd actually pay them, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but we would bring them in and they would open for us and we would sell tickets and did pretty good. So that was kind of our strategy. So I learned the business side of the music from my dad. Uh, but I didn't get my first guitar until, uh, sixth grade, I think my mom's boyfriend was a big guitarist and left-handed person like me. And, um, man, I just loved watching him play. And one day he's like, man, if you're interested, um, check this song out. And he played eruption by Van Halen mm. and I was blown away. <laughs> you know, like, well, who are these guys? You know? And he's like, no, it's just one guy. You know, it sounds like if you listen to the end of eruption, it sounds like three guitars going, and so he, I guess he saw my passion and um, gave me, bought me a, a Gibson SG and let me loose. And I'm sitting there trying to learn eruption the first three years. <laughs> you know? And uh, my brothers got into it at that point. And, and uh, you know, we all started kind of writing songs and stuff from there. So, and we were in a band forever until I moved to Florida. Wow. Well, so now you've mentioned the late, great Eddie Van Halen, in addition to Sammy Hagar. So we're we're working our way through Van Halen here. People can't sense some of the influences. <laughs> so right. you just started right. to mention it. When and why did you move to Florida? And as much as I absolutely love living in Florida myself, did you ever consider putting down roots instead in Nashville, L.A., or New York for your music career? Uh, well, I didn't really move down here for a career, so... I had lived in California. I lived in La Crescenta as a child and, you know, didn't really enjoy it or appreciate it. And living in Tennessee was cool. And a lot of people now from the L.A. guns or the L.A. cats, they're all coming down to to, to Nashville now. You know, I saw a post, Neil Sean from Journey. He just moved to Nashville Uh. last week. 
and they're all coming down. All these people like Mark Slaughter was an L.A. guy. Chas Sanford was an L.A. guy. They're all in Nashville now. Um, uh, we play with Lit. Are you familiar with Lit? They have a pretty cool band. They were L.A. guys. They're in Nashville now. <laughs> so uh, it's funny how they, they're kind of, it's like they're all moving to Nashville for their music careers. But so for my move was more for, I was getting out of a career. I was working in the car business for my grandfather forever. Mm-hmm. And my wife was just getting out of her um, college and or our school and we thought well let's just go down here to the beach and see how it feels you know <laughs> and we kind of went on a whim and again i don't know you know like before i don't know what i did in my previous life but i'm a pretty lucky guy and this is a no exception we moved down when we decided to move about a month after we pulled the trigger that uh, oil spill the bp oil spill happened mm. and, and you know, we're sitting here going, oh, my God, you know, what have we got ourselves into? But again, ended up being a blessing in disguise. We were able to buy a house that we couldn't have afforded, you know, prior to that. Uh, so we came down not for a career, but it ended up working out. Okay, so okay. and I'll tell you that the reason the reason I got back into music, we went to a Sammy Hagar concert after we moved <laughs> to Florida and we were on stage and we're singing along or, you know, sing along with everything. And I found this old eighties, you know, mid sleeve Sammy Hagar shirt from like 82. Well, Sam sees it. He comes my way. He's singing. Your love is driving me crazy. He signs my shirt, puts his arm around me and we're singing that song together. What? One of the coolest things that's ever happened. And wait a uh, minute, wait a minute. How were you on stage? So back then, he did a show with, it was called Sammy and the Wabaritas. He would do um, stage tickets, and you could get, it was limited, obviously, but you could get on the stage wow. with him. It's really cool. If you if you, you probably uh, YouTube it, wow. man. It was really cool. So he, And there was always a time during the show, he would come up there <laughs> where the people were. And it just happened to be, I don't know, it was one of the, another magical moment. But a, a, a funny side story is, <laughs> I don't know if I should tell you this. So I had a buddy filming it, and I'm like, did you catch that? You know, I was in, like, I was just in awe. Just It was just an amazing experience. And I guess when he was coming down to sing with me, my wife <laughs> comes out and pulls her booby out for him to sign. <laughs> and, and so the guy that had the, the, the guy was filming it was – just filming that. He didn't get it. There's no footage of me singing. <laughs> he is, he's filming that part. But um, but anyway, that kind of when when we got home after that, I'm like, man, I think I want to play again. You know what I mean? It kind of just lit the fire under my butt. <laughs> and so, you know, like I said, I didn't when I moved down here. It wasn't to play. It was just kind of to change things. So, but, th- but after that experience, I decided I wanted to play again. So I, wanna, I don't know if I answered your question. I want to play again. And your, <laughs> your wife's like, and I want to enter some bikini competitions. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Florida's yeah. changing us. Florida's changing us. <laughs> wow, wow. You got yeah, some, you got some really cool stories. Speaking of which, the song that we played at the beginning of the show, "One More Day," has a music video that was just released on October thirteenth, and it already has approximately two hundred and forty-four thousand views on YouTube. 
as a teaching moment for anyone out there who looks to learn from this show in a way that helps their music career, how, Preston, has the band had that much success with that so quickly? I realize, of course, that there are four times as many people promoting it than if it was just a solo act, and there are almost 39,000 subscribers to the YouTube channel, but wow, that's pretty darn near a quarter of a million views already. Yeah, yeah, and um, Death Trap has, I think, 425, 427, 425,000 views, too, and that was released a couple months ago. So... For you two, man, I, I bought this book a couple years back, and it was basically how to properly post videos to YouTube. And I went through it and highlighted what I liked and, and learned from it. And it's pretty cool. If you really want to be successful with it, you really have to take the time and do it right. And so for me, when I post a video and there's not many videos on our YouTube yet, I mean, I don't know, it was 15, maybe, uh, as far as official videos, there's four, I think we have one coming out next month, another one. Um, but the magic is how you post it. There's certain tags you can use. There's these landing videos that you add to the beginning and the end and these links, um, the hashtags, the at signs, there's just so many little wow. secrets and tricks and it's all based on algorithm, right? So you just yeah. have to kind of figure out what works and, and make it work for you. Um, the playlisting is important, um, getting on other playlists and cross promoting. So when we release something, we have a pretty good following on Facebook. So we'll post it. We won't post the video on Facebook, but we'll post the link. And so that brings people to your uh, site. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. another secret. So, <laughs> so again, I don't know. I'm a lucky dude. I've just been so daggone lucky. But um, I reached out to Google multiple, multiple kind of how I was reaching out to try to get a record deal. Yeah. I'm just I'm really bugging the hell out of people, you know, and, and I'm reaching out to them, reaching out. They finally responded and they had a guy call me. And he walked me through the, all this neat little way of, Whoa. you know, of funneling people to your site and free of charge. Mm. And I, I guess I just bugged them enough to where they're like, all right, help this dude out. <laughs> and uh, and they helped me a lot with, uh, you know, how to do it proper. And there is a proper way to do it. It's It's like with songwriting. You can write a song and release it. Or you can take your time and nurture it and, you know, make it perfect. And same with these videos. When you release them, I could just throw it on there and release it. But uh, now I want to figure it out and do it right. So I'll take, when I when I post a video to YouTube, and I probably drive people crazy, but it takes me a good four or five hours mm. to, to put it together. And, but once it's done, man, we're getting a lot of uh, views. I mean, we've yeah. got... What is it? 1.7 million and we didn't release our first video until March. So that's just mm. not even a year. We're going to have 2 million probably by the end of this year. Outstanding. So, Outstanding. Wow. Wow. And it's all in the all up your sleeves and go to work, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the old way. cliche of you get out of it exactly what you put into it. So if you just knock out a video, you throw it up on YouTube and you walk away, well, you know, you can't expect it to be getting the numbers that, kickstand jenny is seeing but if you invest the time if you 
you can't just be aware and say, oh, the algorithm. Well, okay, yeah. So what are you going to do with that information? So as you explained, you know, the at symbol, the, 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 the hashtags, all the stuff that goes in behind the scenes that, like you said, is worth investing four hours in getting it right. You're going to get the results. So lots of great lessons on this episode. We're going to close today with another song from the new album, a track called Take Me Back to the Time. Preston, before I let you go and I play that song, share with the audience first all about this one, if you would, please. Okay, so as far as the compilation goes, um, Take Me Back to the Time, is it's near the end. It's when it's over, and it's just wanting to go back. It's reminiscing. It was inspired by my wife, who I've been with since I was 16 years old. We've been together forever. Um, and, man, we had such a good time when I got my first car at 16, and and uh, just loving life. And so that was the inspiration of this song. And the very first lyric is, do you remember when we were 17, when life was so much better than it seemed? And that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what it's about. It's a really cool song. Really, it's got a country, alt-country vibe to it. It's a sing-along track. It's a really, and we're going to release this one. The reason I picked this song, we're releasing it in, I think, two weeks. Fantastic. Fantastic. As a, as a, well, Preston. So, I hope you like it. <laughs> so great to meet you. Thank you for making time to be on Now Here This Entertainment. Congratulations again on the new album. We'll be looking for lots and lots more from Kickstand Jenny in 2024. Great to meet you. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Bruce. Honor and privilege. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to founder of and guitar player from the band Kickstand Jenny, Preston Morlock. Do visit the band's official website at kickstandjenny.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. The new album that you heard us discussing, Between the Lies, is available almost everywhere. The music page on kickstandjenny.com, as well as the homepage, has links to get it from Pandora, Amazon, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Deezer, and Tidal. As I mentioned back in the intro, Kickstand Jenny has more than 20,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So check out the new album there too. And of course, give the band a follow on Spotify. Be sure to also check out the store section of their website for tons of merch. Social media-wise, you will see links on kickstandjenny.com for Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I have already followed them on Facebook and Instagram, and I know the band would appreciate you doing the same. For that matter, tell them that you heard Preston and the band's music on Now Hear This Entertainment. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Preston and I, and I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine and a half years without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 512 Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Kickstand Jenny. This is the one Preston just talked about. It's called Take Me Back to the Time.
Do you remember We were 17 When life was so much better So much better than it seemed I can still 